Why don't you go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles or, or cut it on to the book of Jeremiah somewhere in the middle, uh, right after a large book in the Old Testament uh, called Isaiah. Just turn somewhere, Jeremiah chapter 1. Uh, that's where we're going to be today. Uh, while you're turning there, we've been uh, in a sermon series called Not Me. What we've been looking at is all the people in the Bible who said, not me, God, like you, somebody else. Now, I love this about the Bible. The Bible tells us examples of people who followed God and didn't write, but then also other people that, that questioned God. Some of you, it's a very normal thing. You, God's calling you to something. He's, he's speaking to you and you're like, oh Lord, I, I'm not sure. I'm not able. I don't know that I'm capable. I don't know that I can do this. Well, today what we're going to be looking at uh, is what I believe is a, a really on-time sermon uh, for what we see happening, I think, in church life abroad. And that is this. Uh, maybe some of you here would say, not me, I'm too young. Not me, I'm too young. In Jeremiah chapter 1, it's a story of God calling a prophet named Jeremiah. Pro a prophet is somebody that has been empowered by God to speak a truth that God would have him to speak to a people. Now, some of you are here and you, you're kind of looking around laughing going, well, this isn't a sermon for me because I'm not too young. I'm not at that age level where I feel like I'm too young. But it's not always that we think that maybe somebody is too young. Maybe you would say, God, not me because I'm not experienced enough. God, I'm too young as a teacher. I'm too young as a disciple maker. I'm just, I'm not able to do that task because I don't have enough experience in it. God's calling you to lead a, and go on missions and you're like, nope, I can't, God, that's not me because I have zero experience in mission work. Like that's, I'm not equipped, I, I don't have that. But what you're gonna find in the Bible is over and over and over, God called people who had zero experience, who had no ability in that area, but he empowered them and he called them. And so today what we wanna look at is maybe somebody that would say today, hey, not me. I'm not old enough. I don't have enough experience. I don't have enough uh, ability in that area. I don't have enough expertise there. So God, just not me. Don't, don't use me. So here we go. Jeremiah chapter one, starting in verse four. It says, the word of the Lord came to me. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. But I protested, oh no, Lord God, look, I don't know how to speak since I'm only a youth. Then the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a youth, for you will go to everyone I send you to and speak whatever I tell you. Do not be afraid of anyone, for I will be with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. Then the Lord reached out his hand and he touched my mouth and he told me over nations and kingdoms to uproot uh, he says, I've appointed you today over nations and kingdoms to uproot you and to tear down, to destroy and to demolish, to build and to plant. Now, today as we think about this message, I, let me kind of share with you a little bit, maybe even of my story in this. Uh, as a young guy, seventh grade summer, going into eighth grade, at a youth camp in, uh, in Florida, I came to know Christ as Savior and Lord. And now as a pastor, I, I remember the conversation that I had immediately with my youth pastor after coming to know Christ. And it, honestly, it breaks my heart and makes me feel bad that he felt the need to have this type of a conversation with me. This is what he said. I came to know Christ and I mean, Jesus has rocked my world. I just went from death to life and he could see it. I had that spiritual on fire crazy look in my eye. 
I was ready to tell somebody what Jesus just did. And on the balcony, on the way out, my youth pastor at that time, Mike Dura, he says, Jacob, now listen, let's have a talk. I'm like, oh boy, what is it? And I'm like, I'm, I'm getting ready to go tell people. Like, Jesus just changed my life. I can't, I mean, like, this is amazing. He says, now I want to tell you something. This is going to happen to you. You are going to go back home. You are going to go back to church. And somebody, I called him the cold water committee. Somebody is going to see your spiritual fire. They're going to see your passion. They're going to see that Jesus has changed you. And they're going to try to throw water on it and cool it down. I thought, no, ain't no way. Church, week number one. I mean, I've been a new Christian now for like four days. And somebody comes up to me and says, well, Jacob, let me just talk to you about this. I heard you gave your life to Jesus. Well, let me just tell you something. Let me give you some words of wisdom. The fire and that passion you have right now, it's not always going to be there. That excitement and that joy for Jesus you have right there, it's not going to be there. It won't last. It's not. There's just so many people say Jesus has changed their life and it's just not going to be there. And I'm remembering this conversation that I'm having with, that our youth pastor said, and I told him, well, listen, I, I don't know, you know, all of that, but here's what I'm going to tell you. I promise you what Jesus has done in my life, in my life is going to last till the day I die. I've seen that guy in town here recently. I'm not calling his name because he's still, he's still alive. And he's seen me and you know what? He come to me and he said, I need to apologize to you. I, that, that was wrong. I was wrong of that. I, I could have, I could have hurt your desire to go after Jesus. You know, and honestly, for a moment, it kind of did. It kind of like, kind of put it down a little bit. Now here we have a, a passage where God's calling a youth, a young man, a young person to go and proclaim the good news of God, a, a judgment to people to be a prophet, to declare God's message to a people. And he's like, well, hang on personally, God, like I'm too young. I, I'm not able to do this. I, I cannot do this task. I cannot do this thing. Now, I realize today that you and I are very different than Jeremiah. All right, we are not being called to be this type of a prophet in this form or this way. But can I tell you, God has called us to declare his good news to the nations, just like God's called him to. He's called us to build them up. We as the church are to be built up in Christ Jesus, and we're called to tear down, tear down altars of sin and, and idolatry. And so in a lot of ways, I think there's some things that we can learn from what God showed Jeremiah and how we think about loving and growing and sending, literally making disciples who make disciples to the end of the earth. So let me give you a few things I think we can learn from Jeremiah. Let me give you the first one. Our life is to be rooted in God's purpose. Our life is to be rooted in God's purpose. Jeremiah, from this point forward, God is calling him, his life would be rooted in the unshakable, sovereign purpose that God had placed on him. Matter of fact, go back and look at the passage with me. You're gonna see some things that God does and then how it would impact Jeremiah's life. He says, the word of the Lord came to me. So he's gonna show the, the word of God came to me personally, God to me, and then you're gonna see three statements right after this that tell us, I chose you. I set you apart, I appointed you. And that gives the first act. The first one is we think about our life being rooted in the purpose of God is that God knew Jeremiah. God knew him, God was speaking to him. See, some of you in this room would say something like this, Pastor, you don't understand, I'm too young, I don't have enough experience. Guess what, God knows you. God knows your experience level, he knows your giftedness, he knows what you're naturally good at, naturally bad at, but guess what? If you are, have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you have been called to make the name of Jesus known to the ends of the earth. 
It's not, well, I'm too young or I'm not there. No, we have God. He knows you. He's going to go and show just how intimate the knowledge that God had of him. But God knows you. We are known by God personally. Now, people in here might know you a little bit, but God knows you knows you. He knows the ins and outs. As a matter of fact, we're going to see the second thing is that God not only knew him, but God consecrated him. This is true for every Christian. Literally, God, the word consecration means to be set apart. He says, I'm setting you apart for this task. Verse five says, I chose you before I formed you. I chose you, I've chosen to set you apart for work. And this is true of every Christian. Ephesians chapter two tells us that we were dead and our, our weight, the wages of our sin was death, that we were living in death, going by every wind of doctrine. But God who is rich in mercy, sent a son, died on the cross for us. And then he ends it with this. He says that in Christ, in him, we now have this good works that he has prepared for us beforehand. That in him, once we come to know him, that there's this work that God has prepared for you and I. That means that we have been set apart for the task that God has for us. We have a holy purpose. So let me ask you this as you're thinking about God's purpose and setting you apart. Why are you alive? What are you living for? Like, why do you have breath? What is your life about? Hey, everybody in here is about something. Right now, I know some of you every Saturday are about some Georgia Bulldogs. You know how I know it? Because you watch the games, you scream at the games, you go to the games, you invest in their gear, you spend time, money, effort, because that's what you're about. Hey, some of you are hunters. Any hunters in the house? Okay, we have seven hunters, it's good. So these guys, y'all hunt, you fish. You know what you do when you hunt and fish? You invest in uh, tackle and gear and guns and ammo. And, and then honestly, if you're gonna hunt and you're gonna have gear and ammo in a boat, you gotta have a truck to pull it. And, and you, you invest all in. Baby, I'm gonna hunt, I gotta have a truck, you know? And, so, and you spend time and effort and energy because you're about that thing. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have been consecrated, you have been set apart for the glory of God. Your life is about something. You have a holy purpose. He says, I, I consecrated him, I knew him, but he also says that God formed him in the womb. I formed him, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were even there, but then he says, I formed you. Literally, the genetic makeup from his mom and his dad made him a unique individual person. And God says, I've formed you in your room. Jeremiah, there's no one else that will ever be a Jeremiah like you. I formed you the way you are. The word formed there is the same way that we would build, like we, we formed a house. Piece by piece, we set up the foundation and the building blocks and all the things that make a home a home. There are no two homes exactly the same. There can be a cookie cutter house and, and, and you can follow the exact blueprint, the exact plan, but anyone who's ever built a house knows there's no two houses that are the same. You put a nail or a screw in a different place here or there, you have a different ground, a different foundation, different things. Every home is unique, it is different. And in the same way, he says, I have formed you, Jeremiah. I, I, know, I knew you in the womb before you were ever born. God designed him like he designed a house. And in the same way, God says, I know you. Not only do I know you, but I knew you before you were formed in the womb. Before I made you who you are, I know you. 
And I, I sent my son, my son died on the cross for your sins so that you could be saved and now you have a holy purpose to live for. I knew you in your very womb. Jeremiah saying, look, you can't, you can't call me, I'm too young. And God's like, look here, I knew you before you took your first breath. I know you, I formed you in the womb, but then God appointed him. God appointed him, look what he says. He says, I appointed you a prophet to the nations before you were even born. I knew the plan that I had for your life. People ask me all the time, hey, pastor, do you believe like in destiny? Like, you know, the world thinks about destiny. What do you, what do you think about that? Here's what I know for a fact. I know that God knows our life. God knows the choices that we are gonna make and, and God has called you and I, if we are children of God, we exist not only to, to live a life where we're like, man, I'm here to make an honest living, I'm here to raise a family and I'm here to enjoy, uh, and enjoy retirement and then I'm gonna die. That's not what our destiny is as, as a Christ follower. As a Christ follower, our life is to be appointed by him for his glory to make his name known. So some of you, you're here today and your thought is on the outlook of your life. Man, I'll tell you what, I'm just gonna work hard. I'm gonna make an honest living. I'm gonna provide for my family. I want to retire at a right age and then we're gonna just enjoy our life and just enjoy retirement and then I'm gonna breathe my last and that will be a good life. And he says, hey, Jeremiah, guess what? My life for you, my plan for you is not to just live this cookie cutter life. You are to be a prophet to the nations. I have appointed you to this task. Church, the day that we came to know Christ as Savior, we were appointed to a work. We were appointed to a task. We were saved out of our sin, filled with the Spirit of God. Our, all of our sins had been forgiven forevermore, and now we have a purpose, a destiny. God has a plan for our life. So he says, hey, I, I, my life, your life, Jeremiah, is to be rooted in my purpose. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever put together furniture from a box. Anybody? I heard somebody say it. Ikea. <laughs> you put together furniture from a box, and, and, and so anybody knows putting anything together, righty, tidy, lefty, loosey. So I'm putting furniture together and, and it says, you're putting it all and it's kind of like loose and then you get to the very end and there's these screws that once you turn it, it like tightens everything together. So you know, you're, you're going through the whole process thinking it's gonna all come together in the end and I'm gonna screw this thing and it's all gonna be tightened. Until you get to the end and you screw that right thing and it's all gonna tighten and it doesn't tighten. So then you read it all again, you're like, nope, this is it, like tighten it, here we go, righty tighty, righty tighty, righty tighty. And then you realize that somebody who put this piece together, they did the righty-tighty flipped upside down backwards and, and it's not righty-tighty. In this one, it's lefty-tighty. And I can spin all the righty-tighty I want to and it's not coming together. But the minute I turned it the right way to the left, this whole piece of furniture just like tightens up and it's right. I'm like, that's amazing. See, some of you right now, that parts of your life are loose. Things aren't right and the reason why is because you're spinning it as hard as you can in the wrong direction. And God is saying, hey listen, you have a purpose. I saved you, I created you for a task, I've made you for a holy purpose and your life is to be rooted in my purpose. And you can spin it as hard as you want to to the right, but I saved you to go to the left and until you follow me and you go that way, your life's not gonna find the purpose that you were designed for. That's what I made you for. Then your life will tighten up. Follow me, our life is to be rooted in God's purpose. So let me ask you, will you take up the ministry to which you've been called to? To love God, to love your neighbor, to make his name known in your sitting down and your standing up in your home. 
Will you intentionally say, okay, Lord, you know me, you've consecrated me, you formed me in the womb, and you've appointed me to a task to make disciples who make disciples. So God, here I am, I will follow you. I will take up the ministry task to which you have called me. I will follow you. Not looking at your age, not looking at your experience, not looking at how good you think you will do. You don't need any of those things. We need God. That moves us to our second point. I think we can learn from Jeremiah. Not only should our life be rooted in the purpose of God, but our authority to go and speak is from God. Our authority to go and speak is from God. Matter, Look at the text with me as he tells it. He says, but I protested this. Oh no, Lord God, look, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a youth. I know right now, some of you, this is the conversation you're having with God. Hey, this pastor can preach it till he's blue in the face, God, but I'm not about to do it. I'm not gonna be a preacher. I'm not gonna be like a talker. I'm not gonna be a D group leader. That is not my personality. I'm just not gonna do that. I'm gonna be the silent prayer worker in the back. Like, I'm, that's just not me. I'm just, I can't answer this call. Lord, that's just not where I'm at. And so look what he says. I, I'm, I'm protesting this. And let me just stop here. I think there's a lot of people in the kingdom of God today living under protest to what God has called them to do. You know we have a knowledge in our head that the Lord is calling us to make disciples who make disciples. But putting that into practice, uh, it's scary. It just seems intimidating. It seems impossible. It seems too big, just like Jeremiah. And his answer is, I protested, oh no, Lord God. I love this. The word Lord there is Adonai, master, sovereign, Lord. You are my master and sovereign Lord. Same word that Moses used. He called him Adonai, my master, sovereign king. You are sovereign. Now you're over everything. You're in charge of my life. Just don't ask me to do this. <laughs> Just don't ask me to go and do this task. I wonder how many of you this morning would say, hey, God, I'll do anything you want. Just don't ask me to do this. Just don't ask me to follow you and obey you in this area. You can have everything in my life. Just don't ask me for that. And he's, he calls him sovereign Lord. I, I'm not old enough. I'm only a youth. Then the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a youth, for you will go to everyone that I send you to, and you will speak whatever I tell you to. I went to school and got a four-year degree, and then after my four-year degree, I went to school at a theological seminary, and I got what's called a master's degree. And, and that sheet of paper, it says that based upon our accreditation, we now call Jacob a master in the subject of, the, of theology. And I'm like, are you joking right now? I, I, you, think I'm, you think I'm a master in the area of God? I mean, I can study him all the days of my life and I promise you, I will never master the knowledge of God. I'll never get there. But you know what? Some of you, you come and you think, you know what? We can call this person to pastor our church based upon the accreditation that he received to speak, the authority that Jacob has to speak comes from this sheet of paper that he got from a school. And we've missed it. We have completely missed it. Because what you're saying when we say that is you're saying that I have authority because I'm well studied. And some college tells me that I'm a master in it. But what he tells Jeremiah is, is that if you, that's the case, then your intellect becomes your authority. And you will go and tell other people as long as you feel intellectually superior, you know more than them about God. Some of you have said something like this, I cannot go and tell somebody about God because they will ask me a question that I don't have the answer to. Guess what? 
Welcome to the club. There's a lot of questions about God and life that we don't have answers to. But our authority to go does not based off how much we know. Our authority to go and tell comes from our creator who has called us to this task. Your authority is not based off your age, your experience, how good you are at telling somebody about Jesus, or how comfortable you are. It's that your creator has looked at you and said, I've given you authority to go and speak, so go do it. Trust me, obey me, have faith in me. You see, some of you might say something like this, well, I have authority to, to do this based off experience that I have. I feel, I feel like I'm in a good place of, uh, of experience. Think about it. When you interview somebody for a position, you ask them, how many years have you done this task? And based off how many years they've done that task, we feel like more comfortable that they might know what they're doing. So some of you would say, you know what? I haven't done this enough and for enough years to make disciples and lead other people and to shepherd other people. I just don't have that experience. Well, then that becomes your knowledge and your wisdom to be the authority to do that. He says, hey, Jeremiah, I'm not calling you because you're old enough. I'm not calling you because you're smart enough. I'm calling you because I'm God. And you don't need wisdom, authority. You don't need any of that stuff. You need me. You need me more than anything else. God, I'm calling you to this task. You know, so many of the people that God has called to make an impact on the world have barely began to shave. You go and look at the Bible, and, and even in modern day history, people that God has used, a lot of them are just barely shaving. They're barely old enough. David in the Bible, he was a young man. He was shepherding out in the field and couldn't even wear the armor uh, that his guy had, but yet he, God would use him to kill Goliath. You've got Joseph in the Bible. He was a little boy sold into slavery, yet Joseph, God would use him to save his people. There's a, another story that many people don't know about, 1 Kings chapter 5. There's a, an army, a, a, a general that God was using. His name was Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram. Let me, let me read it. It says that a man, he was important to his master and highly regarded through him. The Lord had given him victory to Aram. The man was a valiant warrior, but he had a skin disease. He had leprosy. Aram had gone on raids and brought back from the land of Israel a young girl who served Naaman's wife, a young uh, servant girl. And, and she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of a skin disease. Young little girl says, I see that he's afflicted and I know where the cure is. The cure is found in the prophet of God. He would leave. And he would go see the prophet of God and the prophet of God would heal his skin disease. You see, what if she would have said, you know what, I'm just, I'm just a little nobody. I'm just a young girl. Nobody's gonna listen to me. Her master would have died from a skin disease that was incurable, but she sent him to the healer. It wasn't about her age or what she could do. Daniel in the Bible, this man named Daniel, he was, he was taken from his home with three other guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. History tells us that Daniel would, uh, would not eat their food or their choice wines. And some people think it was like a spiritual thing, but other people say, no, it's because of how old he was. He, in their culture, they would not drink even wine until they were the age of a certain age. And many of them believe he was eight or 10 years old and they would deny that food. Either way, we know that he was younger than 30. So Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, these men would follow God and would not bow the knee to the most popular, most powerful man in the world and would rather be thrown in the fire than to worship someone other than God. It's not about age or experience. God used them. In John chapter six, Jesus had this huge multitude of people coming and he says, anybody got food? 
They said, nope, nobody's got food. Here we got thousands of people and there's no food here. And, and this little boy steps up to the plate in John chapter six, like, hey, I've got a few pieces of bread and, and some fish. I mean, think about that. A grown man would say, well, you know, I might have some bread and fish, but I ain't gonna feed 50,000 people. You know, I ain't gonna feed all these folks, men, women, children. That just ain't gonna happen. A little boy steps up and says, Jesus, take my happy meal. Jesus takes his happy meal and says, I got you. And they fed so many people that there was bread and, and loaves of, you know why he did it? Because what he was doing is he was showing them that without faith, it is impossible to please God. You wanna be fed? It requires faith when you come to Jesus. A little boy showed that. There's a young lady in the Bible named Ruth. She was a young Moabite woman and, and uh, her husband had died and uh, her, she was married to a, a Jew and her mother-in-law named Naomi, her husband had died. And, and so she had to choose, do I go back to my land or do I go with her? And she chose as a young woman to stay and take care of her mother-in-law, Naomi. She had faith and God would use her faith and through Ruth would come the lineage of Jesus, a young girl, Joshua. It says that he was a servant of Moses since his youth. Timothy was a young man and would pastor one of the largest churches, the church of Ephesus. And the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, don't let anybody look down on your youthfulness, but rather you set the example in faith and love and speech and conduct. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a little young lady. Esther is another young lady. Over and over and over, the Bible illustrates to us that our authority to obey God is not in our age, it is not in our experience, it is not in our goodness, it is in the power and the goodness of God. We need more young people that are partnered with more mature, older believers who will tell them, you just follow Jesus. Anything is impossible to them that believe. Church, we don't need to be the cold water committee. We need to be stoking the fire and raising up a younger people and new believers who are following Jesus. We as older believers who have been walking with Jesus longer, be looking for young believers and younger converts to invest into them and empower them to follow Jesus and to use their gifts for his glory. Now let me say this specifically about our church and, and what God is doing even within our own context. Some of you, you've been in church longer than I've been alive. You have followed Jesus longer than I've been alive. And you know what I have found? I found that the longer that I walk with Jesus, for the first time in my life, for the first time in my life, I have walked with Jesus now longer than I was a non-believer. Something changes when you kind of get to that point where you've been a Christian longer than you were a non-Christian. And so now I can't really use the like, I'm a young Christian or, and to be honest with you, I'm kind of starting to take myself out of like the young man category. I'm not in the younger ages anymore. I'm in like the middle ages now. Not my wife. She's not there at all. She's younger and, and she's, and, but for me, I'm kind of in the middle ages now. And can I tell you this? Here's what I'm finding. The older that I get, and I know I'm still, some of you laugh at that. You're like, oh, you're 34. Huh? You're still a kid. No, listen, the older that I get, here's what I'm finding. The older that I get, I have to work harder to learn how to talk to students and our college students. I don't know what Snapchat is, but you know what? I've tried to learn it so I can at least have a conversation with them. I don't know some of their lingo, but you know what? I go to camp to try to find out what that lingo is so that I can relate and connect to them. Because you know what? They now tell me, yes, sir. And, and, you, and I'm like, whoa, hang on. What'd you just say? Yes, sir, you got it. <laughs> like, what just happened? 
Why'd you say yes, sir? Uh, well, because you're old. <laughs> God bless you. All right. Praying God's blessing on your life, right? The older that I get, a conversation Stacy and I have had is this. I want to make sure that in my life that I age with God's purpose in mind. I'm already deciding what type of senior adult that I'm gonna be when I get there. Here's what I can tell you. Here's what I know. I know it's gonna be radically different then than it is right now. Hey, some of you, you've been in church for a long time and you can remember when people were, were arguing over if we should have a piano on the stage and play piano instead of an organ. You remember like, hey, hang on now, I think we need organ stuff. And now, here we are and we have drums and some of you are like, look, I don't like drums. I, drums are not my thing. I, I'm, I'm just, I would be fine with no drums. Some of you are here and you're like, you know what? I tell you what, Pastor, I, you've got that volume cranked up a little bit in service and that's just kind of not my thing. I, I would be fine with no cranked up volume. Hey, we got guys over here playing the electric guitar and some of you are like, whoa, hold up. <laughs> I, I, I would be fine without that. But can I tell you what, what is more important to me? Someone was asking me recently in an interview that we were having. He said, hey, tell me about your senior adults. Tell me about uh, you know, your, your, your church members that are older. Here's why. Church, listen to what I'm about to tell you. I have a list of pastors, long list of pastors that I've gone to school with, that I'm connected with, and they're in different style churches. They're in different ages, all of them, and I try to call them two or three a week and send texts out two or three weeks and pray through this list of pastors. And can I tell you that without fail, every single pastor friend of mine, there is one area of spiritual warfare that every single one of their churches are in, no matter what their style is, whether you call them contemporary or traditional or any of those things, there's an area of spiritual warfare in every single church. You know what it is? Satan's attempt to divide people by their age groupings. Senior adults in a church go, well, you know what, I don't like that style, I don't like that way, or that's not my method of doing things, and so man, I, I don't know that I'm gonna spend time with them. I don't know that I can do that thing. I, I think I need to go be grouped with somebody that's kind of more like me. And, and can I tell you what we need more than anything? We need prophets like Jeremiah that are being called out of their comfort zone and out of their norm and out of their gifting and out of what they think are to go to a people to declare the word of God. So what I told him about our senior adults is I might have somebody come to me that says, you know what, that's a little bit louder than I would like. Or, you know what, I don't really like the drums, but you wanna go eat lunch? You wanna go hang out? That's what, I can, that's what I'll tell you about our church, and I love it. They might, they might not be, I might not wear what they would love, or, or we do music like they would love, or we do a style they would love, but can I tell you, they love on our pastors. They love on us, and they say, it might not be my style. And you know what we need more than anything? A group of mature believers that are saying, I will give up my preferences to pour into a younger or a newer group of converts or believers who didn't grow up in church, who don't know God's word, and we will invest into them because it's not about me, it's about the glory of God. I want that task, amen church? We want that task. So if you're here today and you're a guest or you're new to church or you're watching online, what I wanna tell you is what we are gonna be about in Shirley Hills is being the prophets that are called to go out into our community and to love people that are not like us. And we are willing to adjust and to make changes and to do certain things so that we can be able to accomplish the mission of God today. Matter of fact, I will tell you in our church, God has blessed us in a lot of ways. I was telling our first service, 
Uh, many of you guys know Chris Eggert. He's a guy that's up here sometimes playing the guitar. He's the one who sang Sunday night. His voice is like butter, boy, come on. And, and so you might know him and he's here. God's brought him, he's 29 years old. Young man using his gifts. God's given us another guy, Nathan. Russell, he's, been, he's the one that's been playing the electric guitar, lighting it up, uh, and, and he's a younger man in his 20s. Josh Wilson is here, our, our new children's pastor, who is just doing amazing things already for the glory of God. Amen, church? Good Lord, I'm so thankful for him and his gifts. He's a young man that God is using his gifts for the glory of God. And then you have your wily, veteran, old senior pastor at 34, and here's the deal. God's not calling people based off your experience or your age. It's off his glory and for his will. See, I, I'm finding that there are churches filled with Christians who say, I know if I died, I'd go to heaven. But their walk with Jesus is stale. It, I mean, it's like, a, it's like a Chris wafer. It just has no life. It's like my grass right now. It's just dying because it needs some water. It needs some life. You wanna tell you what happens when I walk with Jesus, when it grows stale, I can just tell you personally in my own life. Let me tell you what happens. My life and my walk with Jesus begins to grow stale when it's been a season that I haven't shared the good news of the gospel with somebody. When I haven't taken a new Christ follower and said, I wanna help you grow in Jesus. You know, there is just something life-giving when we come along beside a new follower of Jesus and we watch them learn spiritual things for the first time. Hey parents, how awesome is it when you watch your child walk for the first time? I'm gonna go and tell you right now, I straight tackled somebody. I was like, yes, right, boy. I was looking up the average age of a kid walking. I'm like, that's right, my Sadie just beat the record, boy. She's early, we got this. Or when she learned to read for the first time or when she counted to 100 the first time for now it's the hundredth time she's counted to a hundred and you don't need to ask her if she can do it, but you, 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 all these milestones, you get so excited. It's life-giving as a parent. Can I tell you in the church, you wanna know what's life-giving? When we come along beside an infant in Jesus who's on the milk of the word and we watch them walk for the first time. We help them share the gospel for the first time. You know what it does? We think we're ministering to them, but they're ministering to us. The reason I believe there are so many stale Christians inside the church, because it's been, you're in a spiritual drought and it's been so long since you shared the good news of the gospel with a non-believer. It's been so long since you wrapped your arm around a younger Christian and said, hey, walk with me as I follow Jesus. Let me help you. Go serve in our children's ministry and teach God's word to them. And they go, wait, that's in the Bible? See, you've gotten so familiar with the Bible. You've gotten so used to that Bible story, but it's fresh and new to them. And you get to teach it and train it to them and watch their eyes come to life as they learn that God loves them and died on the cross and go serve in our student ministry and watch our students go into their school and tell their friends and family about Jesus Christ. Watch students who nobody in their family worships in church and they say, but for me, I will get up and I will go to church and I will live for Jesus and I'm gonna share the gospel. If nobody else in my home does it, I'll do it. And tell me that doesn't fire you up for Jesus Christ. You watch a college student go into a classroom where their professor says everything about the Bible is wrong and Jesus isn't true. And you watch them raise their hand and say, but professor, let me tell you what I've learned about God. And they share the gospel with the class, even if it means an F. And tell me it doesn't fire you up for the sake of the gospel. We grow stale because we are only around other people who have been saved for a long time. 
So when's the last time you've been a, a prophet where you've gone into an unfamiliar place and said, I'm going to help you follow Jesus. I'm thankful for all the people that God has brought to Shirley Hills. And I'll tell you, I love that we're a multi-generational church. I love it. Amen? I love that. You know why? Because I can go out in our community and I can grab a young person, much younger than myself, and I can tell them, come to our church and we've made changes to help reach them and to share the gospel with them and to be relevant in today's way. And I know that there are gonna be people in every age group that will love them, care for them, preach the gospel to them and go out of their way to sacrifice that they would know Jesus and know the gospel. This is a blessing. This is a blessing. Are you stale in your walk with Jesus? Man, let's go proclaim the gospel and come along beside other believers. Thirdly, what I think we can learn from Jeremiah is that God said, I'll be with you. God is with us. If we're gonna do what God has called us to do, to go and make disciples to the ends of the earth, can I tell you what uh, I try to remind myself and what I try to tell other younger guys that are full of passion and full of gifting is God doesn't need our gifts to grow the church. We need God. Let me say that again. God does not need your talents or my talents to grow his church. We need God. We need God more than anything else. We can think that it's us. Listen what he tells them. He says this in verse eight, do not be afraid of anyone for I will be with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. All right, church, listen to what I'm about to tell you. Are you ready? The call to follow Jesus is not a safe and easy calling. Otherwise, he would say, don't worry, Jeremiah, you'll never need to be rescued. It's completely safe. It's gonna be easy. No, 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 the call to follow Jesus is a call to, to give up and to sacrifice and like our team that's getting ready to go into Africa and share the good news of the gospel. It's not always about being safe. Man, sometimes it's just trusting God in the midst of danger, in the midst of difficulty to know God is with me. Hebrews 13, five says, keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you had. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor abandon you. I will be with you. The pressures of this world are there. God says, I've got you. Romans 8, 31 says, then what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? See, some of you today, you are going, man, I, I tell you what, I, I don't know. I, I think I might be too young. I might not be able. I don't have enough experience. And God is saying, put your yes on the table and just know this. There are never a place that you'll go that I won't be with you. There's never a task that I'm calling to that I won't be there to empower you and to help you and to strengthen you. See, today, some of you, your no is, is not there because your fear has come in and God is saying, no, my presence is there. There are some, a group of, of young men that began to gather and to pray together. Uh, they began being known as the Jesus Club. About 10 guys began to gather and pray and the group grew to about 15. As the group grew to about 15, some more people started hearing about this prayer gathering and, and some other people started coming and some other people started coming and, and this prayer gathering, man, it drew, uh, started drawing hundreds of people during that time. A man by the name of, of John and Charles Wesley were amongst that group of people who were praying. And then this other man would come in and join this prayer meeting and his name is George Whitfield. George Whitfield would join this prayer meeting and as other people in the community were making fun of all these young people gathering to pray, God was stirring his spirit and beginning the, great, the first great awakening. You see, uh, Mr. Wesley, he would go on to preach 28,000 sermons in churches where countless numbers of people who would come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. 
But see, George Whitfield, he had a booming voice. His, loud was, his voice was like a, a microphone and crowds began to gather too big for a church building. So he began the first ever outdoor gatherings and some 30,000 people would show up to hear George Whitfield preach with no microphone. And he would loudly proclaim the good news of the gospel. And literally, it would, it would shake a nation. Every great movement of God has ever happened when young people sought the Lord. Everyone, every great awakening started with youth in college seeking after God. Matter of fact, go through the Bible and look at how many young people God called in all of their ignorance with no experience. God said, put your faith in me and God used them. Church, listen to me. We can pour into young people and we can invest into them and I promise you, God will work in us and God will work in them. Or we can be a church that says, give me what I want and not pour into young people and it will be to our death. Some of you and your family, same case. Man, we... Students, hear me. The only, I, this is all I can tell you. Seek the Lord with everything you've got and watch what God can do in your everyday obedience and faithfulness. Here at Shirley Hills, there is no lid on how God can use you. We're gonna invest in you. We're gonna preach to you. We're gonna hang out with you. We're gonna do everything we can, not for you to make a difference one day, but we believe Jesus is calling you to make a difference today. We don't wanna wait. Amen, parents? Parents, don't you tell them, oh, I think you're too young for that. You empower them and say, let's go. And if it doesn't work, I'll be here to help you pick up the pieces. But we're never gonna stop trying. Sometimes I think as parents and as adults, we put the brakes on them because truthfully, it's uncomfortable for us. Because we see young people having greater faith than what we're willing to step out there for. I, wanna be, I pray that we would empower young people to say, let's go. So let me ask you, are you praying for people they have the presence and the power of God in their life. Let me ask you a few questions as we close. Number one, is your life rooted in the purpose of God? Today, right where you're at, is your life rooted in the purpose of God? Will you say, today, my life is just all about doing what God has for me? Simple as that, I wanna be all in to what God has for me. Secondly, are you sent knowing that God has given you his authority? Do you have the courage to go and to do because God says, it is my words I've put in your mouth. I have called you to this, so go and do it. Thirdly, are you living life knowing that God is with you, the creator of the universe, he is with you. You don't need man's applause, and he doesn't need your bag of tricks. He needs your obedience and your faith in him to go and do and watch what God will do. Father, today I'm thankful for your word. And Lord, I'm thankful for a church that says, you know what, we are gonna love and invest in young people. I'm, I'm grateful for the investment and the time and the effort and the labors that pour in our children's ministry, who are at home pouring into students. And, and I, I, I don't know that our students really know right now just how blessed they are to be at a church that says, we love you and we're all for you. We wanna help you. But God, I pray that we would raise up a generation and that we would be the generation that says, you're not too young. You're not too young. It's not about your experience and how much you have done in the past. Man, maybe you're here today and you've been saved for 11 minutes. You just got saved at point number two. You just gave their life to Jesus Christ that they know, God, you're ready to use them today for us to say yes to you. Help us to be a people who come along beside babies, baby Christians, new converts, new believers, new Christ followers, and that we would reach non-believers and we would wrap our arms around them and say, follow me as we follow Jesus. We're here to help you. 
God, help us to train up a generation of young children to love you, to follow you, and to live for you. That they would be more obedient than even we have been. And that they would uh, take advantage of the call that you've placed on them. Lord, we need you. And we ask for your help in these things. Help us to say, yes, God, I know I'm young. Yes, God, I know I don't have a lot of experience, but here I am. God, use me. We ask this in your holy name.